Tanisan and the Madagascan Barbecue They don't search you when you enter a zoo. I only mention it because without that one fact, nothing that follows makes any sense. Now that's out of the way, I would ask you to picture a cloudy day in February as Tanisan and her two seven-year-old acolytes, May and Mai Kawano, were making their way through the turnstile at Ueno Park Zoo in the heart of Tokyo. And while we're at it, a word or two on that unlikely relationship. Several weeks before, Tanisan had volunteered to babysit the girls when their mother was called away on an urgent family matter. Little did she know then that by doing so, the two pocket geniuses would come to regard her as a role model, a sort of reverse Mary Poppins. Indeed, it would largely be due to Tanisan's influence that many years hence they would make headlines, though not in a good way. That said, I should stress that none of those awful consequences were what Tanisan would have wished for. In all of her dealings with the twins, she strived to act as mentor, imparting wisdom wherever possible. Take this zoo excursion, for example. To maximise the educational value, Tanisan had gone to a great deal of trouble to prepare for it in advance. All the same, she'd made one fundamental mistake. She downloaded a site map to make their visit easier to navigate. Unfortunately, it was of the wrong zoo, a fact that immediately became apparent to the two little girls when they stopped in front of the elephant enclosure. The arboreal bradipus, began Tanisan reading from her notes, lives high up in the canopy of the South American rainforest, where it often hangs upside down for hours at a time. Nonetheless, it is a surprisingly good swimmer, and when so inclined, drops silently from the cecropia trees into the rivers below. Mrs Tanny, Mrs Tanny, went Mai, tugging on Tanisan's sleeve. Just listen, said Tanisan, pulling her arm away. It is also able to rotate its head some 270 degrees. But Mrs Tanny, persisted Mai, look. Tanisan scowled at the child and removed her glasses, only to come face to face with the largest bull elephant she'd ever seen. This so startled her that she jumped back a step. Well, what's that doing there? She complained with a wave of her hand. They've been moving things around again, haven't they? Why do they do that? It's the same at the supermarket. You just go in for a carton of milk and end up never being able to find anything. And I wish those blessed birds would stop going off, she added grumpily. I can hardly hear myself think. Tanisan decided that birds were boring and cut them from the tour. This meant that the next exhibit along, in what she assumed to be the needlessly revised site plan, was Monkey Mountain, which was always popular with visitors because the furry little devils were usually up to something. Ah yes, she said, leafing through her notes. Macaca fuscata, the Japanese macaque. One of the more intelligent primate species, certainly a lot more so than its inferior Chinese counterpart. Needless to say, it was a pioneering female that introduced her troop to the idea of washing their food, a procedure that is now widely adopted according to the hundredth monkey rule. I like to think that it is largely due to the feminine influence that they are such lively, inquisitive creatures, always thinking, always engaged. Tanisan looked up from her notes and took a step towards the railings, only to be stopped in her tracks by a powerful smell of urine. The monkeys were draped listlessly over the rocks, 
some dozing, others engaged in a little casual grooming, but quite frankly you would have found more activity in a three-day-old sheep's carcass. Fortunately, Tanisan had come prepared. She'd noted on previous visits to this and other zoos how very disappointing they could be. Either the animals were not doing anything, or they were hiding inside, which meant that all the public got to see was a series of empty paddocks. It was for this reason that she had devised a series of countermeasures to make their excursion more interesting and educational. Yet prior to implementing the first of these, she put her pupils to the test. Here is my first challenge, she said, as she reached into her pocket. See if you can pick out the highest ranking female from among the troop. With great gusto, the twins set to work, casting their eyes over the indolent bundles of fur, some large, some small, as they languished on the rocky outcrop of Monkey Mountain. Ah, yes, went May, after a moment or two. That one, over there. She was pointing to a scraggy, flea-bitten female who was sat alone on a pinnacle of rock over to the right. Mai, on the other hand, picked out a younger specimen who was quietly grooming another individual down below among a group of juveniles and infants. Hmm, reflected Tanisan, looking from one to the other. Option B, I think. Now, with it still being early in the year, there were few other visitors about. All the same, Tanisan glanced both ways before taking aim with one of the small stones that she had selected from her rockery that morning. I should explain, by the way, that she was a highly accomplished stone thrower, having acquired her skills from her maternal grandmother, Tanisan Senior Senior, with whom she had spent many an enjoyable afternoon smashing windows at an abandoned paper mill in Gifu. So now Tanisan lined up on the target and shifted her weight to her back foot. Then raising her stone to eye level, she let fly with an expert flick of the wrist. This sent the stone whistling over the railings and into the monkey enclosure, where it hit female B square on the bonce and bounced off. The animal's reaction was spectacular, to say the least. Utterly enraged, she turned on the lower-ranking female behind her, who responded with her own furious screech, sending all of the youngsters scrambling for cover. The initial squabble and then the infant's frightened squeaks alerted all the other macaques in the area, so they immediately sat up and paid attention. As the two furious females chased each other back and forth along a ledge, a third joined in on one side, while another watched from the craggy overhang, until the dominant male intervened. Observe, if you will, said Tanisan, how one simple intervention has not only animated the troop, but also allowed us to identify certain key relationships within it, as a flash of lightning on a dark night might illuminate a pair of copulating tortoises. I would also urge you to note the method by which this intervention was achieved. When confronted by an obstacle or opponent, one should always strive to stand outside the situation and operate on it rather than in it. Write that down, she added, very pleased at her own cleverness. So then the two eager seven-year-olds took out their Hello Kitty notebooks and jotted down Tanisan's wise words as they followed her up the slope to Bear Hill. A few minutes later, they stopped again in front of a glass window that looked in upon an arctic vista. Here we have a slightly different, though no less interesting, proposition, said Tanisan. A slumbering polar bear, Ursus Martimus, rivalled only by the formidable Kodiak bear of the Alaskan archipelago. 
With some males weighing in at over 700 kilograms, he is the apex predator of the polar ice pack, though you wouldn't think it to look at him now, the sad sack. Tanisan paused to allow the poignancy of her words to sink in. So now for my second challenge, she announced. Bearing in mind that we are cut off from the snowy-haired Bruin by a panel of safety glass, how do we get to see him at his ferocious best? The two girls looked at each other and frowned. We could goad him into action by knocking on the glass with our fists, suggested Mai, who just wanted to be the first to answer. Tanisan pulled a face. He wouldn't hear it or care, she said. Your loudest thumping would be as the buzzing of flies to him. How about an air horn, then? submitted her more thoughtful twin, who was some thirty seconds older than her sister and so must know best. He'd hear that. Certainly he would, said Tanisan, but then so would everyone else. May I suggest a more elegant solution? With that, she delved into her shoulder bag and produced three cardboard masks, which she had made from pictures downloaded from the internet. One was of an adult female seal, the others of her white-faced pups. These latter she handed to the twins, then all three of them stood at the window, masks on, looking in on the recumbent bear. After a moment it sat up and locked eyes with them, at which point there was a noticeable change in its demeanour. Whether it was because it had spotted a potential meal, or was merely jealous because its preferred prey was free to roam among members of the public while it remained captive, is difficult to say. Who knows what goes on in the mind of a razor-toothed hypercarnivore? At any rate, it began chuffing and growling and stomping its feet as it became more and more upset. Then all at once it charged the window, head down, ears back. Yet Tanisan and the girls remained undaunted. In fact, not only were they unfazed by the attack, but even attempted to provoke the poor animal with all sorts of cheeky gestures, until in the end the great bear raised itself up onto its hind legs and gave a full-throated roar. Mission accomplished, said Tanisan, removing her seal mask and heading down the path. Moving on. As the morning wore on, a strange new phenomenon began to emerge all across the zoo. Keepers started noticing that many of their animals were agitated, more so than was good for them. It was as if a predator had got among them, or they somehow sensed an imminent catastrophe. It had started with the macaques and spread like a contagion through the East Garden, through the bears and gorillas, the bats and the gibbons, even the tapirs and slow lorises. Who knew where it would pop up next? At the otter enclosure, Tanisan stopped again and addressed the twins in the usual schoolmarmish fashion. The Eurasian otter, she began, is a member of the weasel family, although that's not something that it's terribly proud of. By and large, it prefers to be associated with the mink, thanks to that animal's long-standing reputation as a status symbol. A lively and mischievous creature, it can frequently be seen gambling about having all sorts of fun. But not today, apparently, she added peevishly, having cast an eye over the empty paddock, where the only playful thing in evidence was the cheery gurgle of the watercourse. Oh, well, no matter, said Tanisan, taking hold of the plastic grip that was sticking out of her shoulder bag. To the casual observer, this could have easily been mistaken for the handle of an umbrella. Yet rather than the usual ribs and canopy, it was connected to a metal rod with two electrodes at the end of it. Tanisan leant over the wall and touched the live end to the surface of the water, 
at which point there was a faint electrical hum. Oh, look, she then said, directing the twins' attention to the far end of the enclosure, as three furry bodies shot up into the air and went scrambling up the bank, squeaking. There's a mummy and two babies. A second jolt, and three other cubs sprang up from behind the bushes like roasted kernels of popcorn. Pop, pop, pop. Then they all shot off across the rocks to seek consolation from their mother. Unfortunately, the otter's playful antics, as Stanisan put it, were not for everyone. Can we see the tiger now? whined May, for the third time of asking. She was getting a bit bored with the smaller mammals. Oh, very well, if you must, conceded Tanisan as she turned off the cattle prod. But I won't be coming with you. He and I have history, she remarked enigmatically. It was agreed, then, that they would meet up at the animal cenotaph and have an ice cream once the twins had seen the big cats. In the interim, Tanisan thought she would call time on her role as the responsible adult to enjoy a well-deserved slice of chocolate cake at the cafeteria. Just then, however, two zookeepers came walking down the path towards her, so she tried to stuff the highly conspicuous livestock zapper back into her bag, but it wouldn't go in because of all the other bits of equipment that she had in there. Now, most people would have panicked at that point, and in so doing, drawn attention to themselves. But Tanisan was nothing if not composed in situations of this sort. She didn't really care that much if she was caught or not. It was all part of the game. So, instead of trying to force the implement back in, she retreated down a side path and waited until the keepers had passed by. Just then, she noticed a sign to her right. It read, This way to the Nunu. Nunu. That rang a bell. Tanisan seemed to remember seeing something about it on the early evening news. As she recalled, it was a small and very peculiar-looking lemur that lived in the rainforests of Madagascar and was much loved by the local people. It had made headlines in Japan because two of them were being loaned to Ueno Zoo with a view to starting a breeding programme. There was only a handful left in the wild, so it seemed. As they were such shy and retiring creatures, they were being kept in their own purpose-built enclosure in a quiet corner of the East Garden next to the owls. Tanisan came across this as she turned a bend in the path. Like many of the zoo's exhibits, there were two parts to it. An inside part, which was done out to simulate a rainforest at night, and an outside cage part full of greenery. But although she looked high and low for the bug-eyed celebrity couple, she couldn't see them anywhere, which pretty much tallied with her previous experience of zoos. Oh, come on, she complained, as she stood outside the cage, peering in through gaps in the branches and leaves. Let's be having you. I've paid good money here. Just then, there was a tug on her arm that almost pulled her off her feet. Looking down, she saw twelve perfectly formed little fingers wrapped around the end of her electric pig poker. What are you doing? said Tanisan, jerking it in the opposite direction. Let go. Let go of it, I say. It's not yours. For several moments, the frenzied struggle continued between the species, Tanisan pulling in one direction, the Nunu pulling in the other. And then the very worst thing that could have happened actually happened. In the heat of the moment, Tanisan gave the prod one almighty tug to wrest it from the Nunu's grasp, but her finger must have slipped on the trigger and 50,000 volts went coursing through the cage, turning it into the world's largest barbecue griddle. 
There were some very unpleasant sizzling sounds as she struggled to detach the implement which had got stuck in the wire mesh. With an understandable sense of urgency, she tried pushing it one way, then twisting it the other, but by the time she actually managed to pull it free, even the leaves were on fire. Putting some distance between herself and the incident seemed to be the main thing now. As she emerged onto the pathway, she ran into the twins who were on their way back from the tiger house. Can we have an ice cream now? asked May, with a child's clear eye for its own gratification. No, said Tanisan, taking both girls firmly by the hands. We're leaving. But we haven't even seen the capybaras yet, complained Mai, who was now being dragged along at such a pace that she was almost off her feet. Same as the guinea pigs, snapped Tanisan, only bigger. As they approached the exit, one of the nice young ladies who were on duty there smiled at them sweetly. But before she could say anything, Tanisan put her head down and barged past. Yes, yes, she muttered, very nice, thank you. See you again sometime. It was only when they were safely outside that they stopped to glance back at the thin column of smoke rising up from the treetops, which may seem like a cruel way to end, especially for the Nunu. But let me just take this opportunity to reassure the listener that no animals were harmed in the writing of this story. It was penned humanely. <laughs>